Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Larry H. Russell welcoming you into Celtics Pete, the number one podcast on iTunes dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise. Today's episode is being brought to you by our presenting sponsor, American Farmers Network, the leading organic meat brand in America. 100% grass-fed, USDA-certified organic steaks, beef, chicken, and more. It is grilling season, and there's nothing more delicious and healthy. Get all the big benefits from small family farms at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Today is Sunday, May 29th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I'm Larry H. Russell. Happy Memorial Day, Eve. Thanks for making us a part of your weekend, or maybe your work week if you decided to listen to us a few days after our Sunday release. Whenever you're listening, happy to have you here as always, especially on the holiday weekend. You're here, I'm here, as is today's featured guest, Sean Grandy, Boston Celtics radio play-by-play voice here with me right now on mute as of now hang on he's coming in we got the lottery in the books we now know where boston will be picking we've already recapped the whole draft lottery last week with jeff goodman so now we can go ahead and do it the official off-season preview extravaganza with radio voice of the team right here on memorial day weekend on Episode number 159 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron. And you just heard them, American. FarmersNetwork.com. Couldn't the time be better, huh? It is grilling season. Healthy, 100% grass-fed, certified organic. No pesticides, no GMOs, no steroids, antibiotics, all that junk. Eat healthy to be healthy. Fire up the grill. Load up on those steaks. Great deals going on right now www.americanfarmersnetwork.com forward slash specials. And as you know, our newest sponsor, Blue Apron, enter yourself into a contest. Get a month's worth of Blue Apron meals, $800 worth of food valued at that. Just subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Enter the contest again. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. As I stated, Mr. Grandy is here with me right now. We're going to do the whole show together. Only way we can do this. And today's segment is being brought to you by Blue Apron. You guys know how I roll fresh single ingredients only. No chemicals, no fillers, no preservatives. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best for less than $10 per meal. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Their meal plans offer variety to compensate for people's own dietary needs. Give Blue Apron a try in support of this network and show it is a win-win so you eat healthy and enjoyably and you help fund our operation. So check out this week's menu and get your two meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat. All one word, blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And Sean Grandy, a better way to converse. Boston Celtics, my man, thanks so much for offering us your time on this holiday weekend. Welcome back to the show. Hey, I'm just glad you took a few minutes off from the golf course to, to, to do this with me. I appreciate it. 
Hey, I had to make time for you, right, Sean? And for this specific show, actually, as I stated a few times here in the first few minutes of this broadcast, this is our little off-season preview special, whatever, but I want to do a little reviewing before we do any previewing, and I want to take advantage of that great memory of yours, Sean. So actually, take it back to last off-season, last summer. There was some talk then about Boston being aggressive and fireworks and whatnot. Celts kind of punted. Yeah, they did punt. Remember, David Lee and Amir Johnson were the big additions. How'd you feel about that back then? I think the whole thing kind of played out the way, you know, we, we thought it would, really. You thought the Celtics would be better, and they were better. I mean, not as good, you know, about as good as they were in the second half of uh, the second half of last year. One of the ironies is that we've been talking about this a lot. The Celtics, the best quarter of the season last year was the last quarter, and that was the worst one this year because of injury issues and a couple of reasons. But I really thought there weren't the opportunities to hit the Grand Slam in the summer, so Danny went the other way. You know, with the ball and got a couple more base hits and got the Celtics closer and created more salary flexibility. And um, in the big picture, you got, you know, what you got out of David Lee. That didn't work out, but the Amir Johnson thing certainly did. And it helped you become, you know, more stable and win more games and get more experience playing bigger games. And you're, you're not positioned any worse. What you didn't do was take the gamble on the salary space and the assets on something that wasn't. A, a true superstar mover wasn't that true, you know, big home run swing. Because the worst scenario for the Celtics is swing for the grand slam and miss, and then you've lost your turn at bat. Whereas what the Celtics did was they said they took the ball to right field and kept the inning alive. They did go into the year with a roster where almost no one had separated themselves from their peers. Were you at all worried over those prospects as I was last year? I was, and I was Brad Stevens was, and it's funny because Danny. And this is this would have been the reason that Doc Rivers never could have done this because Danny's goals and the head coach's goals are going to be, if not at odds, the final destination is the same, but the road to get there was going to be a little bit more complicated and a little bit dicey because Danny was doing what he had to do to get the roster where he wanted it to be for two or three years down the road, and it did not necessarily create a ready-to-field NBA basketball team. And obviously there were way too many bigs, and you had a preseason situation when David Lee was in the mix. I mean... It's so bizarre how many twists and turns the front he court rotation great took. In the, you remember when he looked great in those yeah. first two games? I know he did. David Lee looked Europe, great. Tyler Zeller was starting in the preseason. Jared Sollinger was the 12th man on the roster. In the, it's funny because Jared Sollinger's season sort of went full circle in that he started the year of the preseason completely out of the mix and obviously had the bad playoff series. But when the season started, all of a sudden Jared Sollinger answered the bell and he jumped David Lee and Tyler Zeller and earned all those minutes, you know, in November and into December. So it's just funny how it worked out. But, yeah, it was a, it's funny how Brad Stevens ended up doing what he wanted to do, which is cobbling a nine-man rotation until the injuries, cobbling a nine-man rotation out of what was really a 12-man rotation in October. Still want to stick on this, touch upon the reviewing the year a bit. Where were you prediction-wise going into this past season? Just refresh my memory a bit. Wasn't it around 45? I was around there. I was around you know mid-40s. And it had to do more with the fact that I thought there was, some, there was an artificial nature to the 40 number the previous year. You know, the Celtics, it was a bizarre. Oh, a huge run. You know, yeah, it was a huge flashback, run. Flashback to last year, the end of that season, and March and April, when the Celtics not only, basically, it was one of the most bizarre sequences of games I'd ever seen. They, because they're they flirting with the playoffs, but they lose, exactly yeah. right. They lose a bad home game, and I would turn to Max and I'd make the throat slash sign, like no way you're making the playoffs. And then you go on the road the next night and win. And it started that road winning streak, and then you had the games. This is why April basketball in the NBA is tough to predict because you had game, you know, you beat Cleveland easily twice because Cleveland was resting guys. You don't really know what you're, you know, you get towards the end of the year and you have teams resting guys for the playoffs and then you end up with what the Celtics ended up with. You know, one of the, one of my theories about this year is that the West Coast trip was a complete, that was a complete fool's gold. Complete fool's gold trip at three and two because of the Golden State win, and people who were only paying close attention. Oh my God, they beat Golden State. This is going to be a great run for the playoffs. But I'm just talking about teams they're dealing with in that time, just like the Lakers and Phoenix now, and teams that are resting guys for the play. You could run into a these Tankapalooza dumpster fires like you have in Phoenix and L.A. and all of a sudden, the the win loss record isn't quite what it seems. So the reason I had around, I was around forty four, forty five. I thought that was a huge step. Forward. You go twenty, think about twenty five two years ago, twenty five to forty five in two years. That's extraordinary. I just thought the number forty was artificially high because of some of the games they won at the end of last year. And there were a lot of wins I thought as well, where they snuck up on a lot of good teams when they beat Atlanta right before the All Star break on Evan Turner's game winner, where they had a win against Memphis at home on a Wednesday night, I believe, in March. They caught a lot of 
good to very good teams off guard. They cut, coming into Boston and saying, oh, this is the Celtics, that's a win. Celtics would beat them, would beat the other teams with a C-minus game, I thought, I thought a lot last year. That's why I was a little pessimistic with the 39-40-41 wins early on. I wasn't huge on the offseason. Therefore, I thought even if they replicated the season they had before, I thought it would be a major victory yeah. because of that very reason, which you didn't mention, in that teams were going to take them a lot more seriously than they did in the second half of last year. And as like you said, the Stellics were picking up a lot of wins in the second half of the year or towards the end of the year in April when they were playing tanking teams or teams resting their players. You mentioned Cleveland did that twice. Remember, they also got two late wins against Toronto. Or Toronto, Toronto. I mean, they were resting players as well. Remember, there were two buzzer beater wins. Jay Crowder from the corner and then Marcus Smarts. And then, back. Yep. Uh, and the, uh, and the, the other thing about last year, the, here's the other thing, and they weren't, it, it wasn't like all the wins last year were flukes. What happened last year was, and so, there's a similar element this year, but more last year, the Celtics suddenly, and it hit me on the West Coast trip in January of 2015, that That's when they turned while around. we know that, that one through three, the Celtics were going to have difficulty, I, I said the, the soundbite version I would give to other, you know, other radio stations and other team broadcasters or whatever, other national guys, when they would ask me is, well, one through three, the Celtics may be bottom ten, in the entire NBA, but four, this is particularly true last year. Four through ten, the Celtics had an elite roster. Four through ten, so all of a sudden, I remember going on that West Coast trip in January, and they'd play the Clippers and the Blazers, and they'd win some of those games, they'd lose some of them. But remember, the Blazers were really good last year. These were elite teams Sitting in the them NBA. The it's why it's right. It's why they played Golden State so tough. You go four through ten, that second unit would get out there, and it wasn't like it was a fluke. The Celtics were better four through ten than a lot of these teams. And then after this, you, know, you steal a lot of games because of that and some of the issues we're talking about. You get in the playoffs, and all of a sudden Cleveland's on the other side, and the playoffs, it's not about 4 through 10 anymore. It's about 1 through 3. And then when 1 through 3 on the other side is LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, then that's, that's why you get swept. Okay, Sean, some positives here. We were a little negative there. Favorite regular season game from this past year? I want to go, instead of the Golden State win, I might choose Cleveland. the Golden State loss Ooh. Ooh, uh, in December, one. only because they, it just seemed like there was so much more intensity. Golden State was playing better at that time. I think you have the asterisk, you know, them losing the next night. I think we all know, you know, it, it should have been. The Celtics were playing better. And I think what we talked about, you know, or earlier was the win in April to me, it was great in every way. You know, a night can be great, but it really was. It turned out to me to be fool's gold for a lot of people because in that last 20 games, the Celtics were just playing better in the first 20 games than they were in the last 20. And I thought that night there was so much electricity. It was probably the biggest regular season game in the NBA in the last three, four, five years. Like, wasn't on TV. There's no national TV that night. Here's Golden State unbeaten, and the Celtics had them, and you had great drama. And I think it just sort of. Uh, you know, the Celtics kind of took off after that and won a lot of road games. Um, but boy, you know, there were there were obviously a bunch. I think people would choose the Cleveland one because of the you know natural feeling towards Cleveland and LeBron. But to me, I just thought that game had a lot of, you know, I, I thought it had just great moments, a great Garden feel. Certainly, Game Four of the playoff series uh, was was pretty high in that list too. Yeah, that's a really good point about bringing up the uh, Golden State loss in December. It's almost like the parallel a lot, of, a lot of people could use is when the Patriots lost to the Rams on a Sunday night game regular season. Of course, the Celtics yeah. team did not go on to win a championship, but that, that loss had a lot to do with it. And one final thing just to sort of talk about, I mentioned this with Mike Gorman here a few weeks ago. As good as that Golden State win was, that was sort of the capper on the season because it looked like they didn't have much gas left in the tank after that, especially with how with the fact that that West Coast road trip couldn't come at a worse time. And the West Coast road trip to me, you say, all right, well, you want to go three and two. And they go three and two. People don't tend to just, it's natural. You're not paying as much attention at that time. The Red Sox are starting up. The games are on late at night. So people aren't as intently focused. So I think people took from that, hey, they went, they won three out of five, and they beat Golden State, the first team in a year and a half to do it. They're really rounding in the shape, gearing up for the playoffs, when the reality was, Jay Crowder wasn't healthy. Um, it, was, it really was the last hurrah because Jay Crowder wasn't healthy and never did get healthy in the, in the, at the end of the season. If you Again, we examine that trip a little more closely. There were two quality teams. First of all, Portland wasn't supposed to be one at the start of the year. People thought it was like Phoenix a couple of years ago, and they ended up having a great year, and Terry Stotts had a great year and deserved all the recognition he got. You know, the Portland game was not – Celtics weren't really that competitive in it. They got crushed by the Clippers 
on that trip. And the t- two other games they did win, they barely won against two, you know, Pankapalooza dumpster fire teams in Phoenix and the Lakers. So it was not. It was a trip that you don't want. Let's looks nice. A three and two. The closer you examine it the more it starts to the string starts to unravel and i remind you after the you know the first time that golden state lost a home game in 84 you know 84 straight in a year and a half what happened in their next home game minnesota went in there and beat them no didn't so, they, they they picked up a win against portland and then minnesota and then they lost to minnesota yeah. so you have you, the point being it kind of it's one of those things you don't want to you know it's like when you get a meal at McDonald's or something let's not look too close at Tastes good. Looks, you know, let's not examine too close uh, what happened. And I thought it was a, you know, I wasn't surprised. People were kind of on my, you know, not on my case, but people were like, what, what do you mean? You're not, the Celtics aren't favored in the first round of the playoffs. I said, look at the last 20 games. Look at the direction that Atlanta is going. Look at the direction some of these other teams are going. I still do think, you know, Celtics it could not have gotten a worse draw, and I think they probably beat Miami, and who knows the way Toronto and Lowry were shooting. But the Celtics... The, in 2015, played their best basketball in the final 20 games. And in 2016, although they weren't bad, certainly, the Celtics' worst quarter of the season was the last one. They were sputtering. How's this? I talked about this with Leon Poe after they beat the Warriors. So I believe our April 3rd show, something like our 151st episode, still in the archives on iTunes and Stitcher for Celtics Beat subscribers. I asked him this question after that Golden State win, immediately after the game. What? was or could be better beating golden state and being the first team to beat the warriors after 54 straight they had a 54 straight game winning streak at home or winning a first round playoff series which they ended up not doing he went with the playoff series i went with that golden state game and mind you like i said this was on april 3rd so before the playoffs what would have been superior to you winning a playoff series or that golden state win i I don't think the playoff series mattered that much depending on who who was against? Let's say the Celtics. Avery Bradley doesn't. Avery doesn't get hurt. Yeah. And series takes it. You know, funny. Maybe somebody in Atlanta gets hurt. You know, maybe Horford gets hurt. Maybe something happens that turns that series. Instead of the Celtics suffering a key injury, Atlanta suffers a key injury, and the Celtics squeak by and they win that series in six instead of losing in six. And then they get demolished by the Cavs, which may or may not have happened because that matchup wasn't it would have, as bad. It was a, de- no, no, it was a demolition. That was a demolition. Win. Right, probably not as bad as Atlanta guy. Again, the Celtics, <laughs> you have to be <laughs> able to shoot three. It was four straight. Right, pro- most likely. And maybe because the Celtics and Brad Stevens, the way they played, just people forget this. The Celtics were more, com- by definition, the Celtics were more competitive against Cleveland than Atlanta was last year in the conference finals. So at least those games were competitive games for a while. You know, Atlanta just got crushed in 2015 and again, you know, last year's. But I, I, I tend to agree with you. It's probably a sweep. Maybe the Celtics win a game. I mean, I had this whole, you know, I had this whole thing with my buddy Mike Gorman last year when I was trying to be as diplomatic as I could before the Cavs series. What do you think is going to happen in the series? And I was trying to basically not come out and say they were going to get swept by saying, well, wouldn't it be great if the Celtics won a game and wouldn't the Garden go crazy? And, you know, trying to, like, deflect the actual answer to the question was, I think they're going to get swept. And then Mike came out and said the Celtics were going to win the series. Yeah, a little headline. Like, what, that was a little what more are you headline grabbing. Exactly, it was. And I was like, you know, you're trying to, I mean, trying to make me look bad over here? Like, what are you trying to do? I, I just thought it was like, are you kidding me? The Celtics, because I'm trying to position it that if the Celtics win a game in that series and they win that fourth game, it's like the Super Bowl. If they actually beat this Cleveland team, it would be remarkable to win a game in the series. And then you just set the bar, the expectations so crazy high that you can't possibly reach them. But, again, that's why I'm saying, you know, when having the season that the Celtics had, where they were one of the five or six best teams in the NBA for a long period of time, and the third best team in the East for a long period of time, this regular season was so successful in so many ways that you could say, oh, they didn't get past the first round again. But how would we have felt had they gotten a lucky break or two, gotten by Atlanta, and then just taken a woodshed beating from Cleveland in the second round? Because that's the other thing I forget, that Cleveland is significantly better this year than they were last year. How would we feel then about this whole second round thing versus the first round thing? So I think it's largely, you know, it would have been nice. It would have been a couple of home games. It would have been people, you know, cheering at LeBron until he came out and, and shut everybody up again. But I, I think the Celtics in the big picture are, have made significant strides in each of these three years, bigger strides than we could possibly have imagined, and you can't measure them by 
if they got eliminated in in four games in the second round versus six or seven in the first. I don't think that's that big a deal. Were there any other accomplishments from this season that may have gone unnoticed towards the general casual fan? Uh, I, you know, I might say Evan Turner. It would be the first thing that, that pops into my mind because we just tend to look away at things. And I, I think that when you ask yourself, how did the team overachieve? And again, I think the late run in 2015 – I thought there was some fool's gold at the end because you were running into teams. Remember the Celtics beat Cleveland twice easily at the end of the year in 2015 because the Cavs were resting guys and you run into catching the right teams at the right time and you stole all those road games. And it was a, an accomplishment, a step forward. But I think the downside was it got you to 40 wins, which I think created false expectations for this year. So to me, to go from 25 wins to 48 in two years, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And I know everyone's going to say, well, it's all about winning a championship, and it is, and getting to, you know, from 48 to 60, that's the real hard thing, and it is. But you don't, if you look back at NBA history, at teams that went from 25 to 48 wins in two years, you're going to find, yeah, the Celtics did it in 2007 because they had Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. And the Thunder did it. But once again, there you go, it becomes with development of two megastars. Look at the superstars they have. And with Isaiah Thomas, and Jay Crowder and Evan Turner becoming an elite six man, and he didn't get nearly enough love in that vote as I thought he deserved. I thought he was, you know, you could make a case for a lot of those guys for six man. I thought Evan Turner was right there. Um, you, you, that's how, that, that isn't done without an elite. I mean, I don't know where we say Isaiah ranks. Is it safe to say, is he in the top 25? Is he in the top 20 when you Second want to make the guards. Okay, so when you, make the, when you make the statement, the Celtics did what they have done without a top X play, you know, a top 20 player. It's like wherever you, wherever you slot Isaiah, just above that. The Celtics did it without a top 20 player in the NBA with Isaiah and Jay Crowder and Evan Turner and Brad Stevens and this group of, you know, that did this thing to get it from 25 to 48 wins in two years, trading away Jeff Green, trading away Rondo, trading away. That is, that's the accomplishment that I think has gone without, you know, everybody even looks away from this team more towards, uh, uh, Kevin Durant, is there any chance we can get Kevin Durant? And, you know, th- you should be. That's, that's sort of the goal. You want that elite player. But let's not spend too much time. I think my open for the last game this year was about how Celtic fans have really fallen in love with this team. And it's funny how it happens. You spend all your time, you get to the party, and you're staring at the, at the pretty girl across the room, and you don't notice that the one you're with, you know, you've fallen in love with the one you're with. And that, to me, was the story of the season is how Celtic fans who a year and a half ago were filling my timeline on Twitter every time the Celtics won a game. How can you be so happy that they won a game? And what, you know, because now they it's the complete tank. opposite way around. It's it got to win to impress Kevin Durant. It was ju- exactly right. And it changed, you know, last year. But that, that changeover, I mean, that was a brutal year as a broadcaster. That was very difficult. It was oh, almost I like, what do you want me to do? Sunday. Jeff Green from the corner of the Celtics win, son of a, you know, what do you want me to do? Like when the, And there was a game the Celtics won two years ago in Washington, and it was just such a scratch-and-claw battle. Phil was that a the bunch Jeff Green 40-point game? Yes, yes. And he, he, it was just a great team win. They were shorthanded. It was just one of those great nights in the NBA, and a great team win. And he just came up with that sentence that I remember tweeting it that night and kind of going back to it a lot. Like, if you're not happy as a Celtic fan tonight that they won, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't know how to speak your language if you're obsessed with losing every game. And people, on paper, you want to go 0-82 so you can get the top pick. You don't understand what that does to players and to coaches and to you know, the psyche of I professional athletes. I think fans athletes. do now, though. I think yeah, fans I, I do, think now. They do I think they've learned a lot they over the last year and a half. They've learned a lot over the last year and a half, and now they're almost taking it too seriously. Now they, they psychoanalyze every breathing minute of a game and every good thing that happens in a game of, oh, how's this going to play out for Kevin Durant? And I think we're all guilty of it to some way or another. I, was, I mentioned it, too, when they picked up the Golden State win. I said this is a great thing to do for free agents, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it is incredible about managing every last breathing minute of NBA basketball and how that's going to play out for the future. And the future, of course, being this offseason, which is finally here now, so we can finally get into talking about the offseason because you're here. This is the offseason preview extravaganza, palooza, whatever you want to call it. And we couldn't really do that until those ping pong balls bounced as they did two Tuesdays ago or whatever it's been now, but eight, eight, 10 days on this Memorial Day weekend here. So what were your lottery takeaways, Sean, and now that the emotions have worn away and we're almost two full weeks since it's happened? 
How many years will it be before the Celtics actually move up? I think they only what, moved what 86, odds? right? 86 was the only time they moved up in the lottery. 86, yep. The only time. So, and, and they usually never the stay where they are. Much better chance. They usually go down. Yeah. That was my thing. At least they stayed. At least they stayed at three. They usually it was, and it's great, but it's it's funny. And I'm not sure history will look back on this as being a clear one-two and then everybody else in the draft. But, of course, the one year the Celtics stay at three is the year as we're talking right now. Everyone is thinking of it as a one-two and then a drop-off, of course, is the year you're going to stay so at three. So it was 07. But, yeah. 07 yeah, was right. one-two Which, and a drop-off. That remains one of the great uh, like all-time lie detector moments for Danny, you know, who insists to this day. That he they were Odin guys. Durant, they were Odin guys. I know. I, mean, they I think there would have been too. I think there was concern within the medical staff. I think there was this, was discussion about Odin, but I think the pressure to take him would have been at that time and place in 2007. It would have been just too much to not do it. I know Danny had the thing with talking with Kevin Durant's mom in the middle of a game, and everyone uses that, draws that. And I know we're going a little way off track here, but everyone draws that as, oh, that's 100% definitive conclusion that Danny Ainge would have taken Kevin Durant in 2007. I'm totally with you. It's almost just sort of like a, a Michael Jordan, a Hakeem Olajuwon thing in 2007. The pressure of taking Olajuwon number one is the same thing in the case of Odin. I mean, everybody had... I don't want to say everyone. I know Billy Packer had infamous comments during, what was it, the Final Four or the championship game when Jim Nance, I don't know if you remember this, Nance asked him, like, hey, do you think that Greg Oden is going to be, you know, in that Kareem, David Robinson, surefire law coming out of college? And Billy Packer went, no. And he was like a, a complete, he was basically a voice in the wilderness at the time. Yeah, he was. Uh, but I, I, I'm totally with you about that, uh, about Danny. But we are. Going, getting a little off track here. I can talk a little about the past. I know you and me are really good about, really good about that with uh, the memories that we have. But So I'll ask you. I had Jeff Goodman here last week talking about the draft pick, and he went you know, pretty much down the entire roster and gave us a little blurb on every single potential first-round pick, especially the guys <laughs> in the lottery. What do you he's, think? Our, he's our Mel Kuyper. He is. He, he is the Mel Kuyper. And we've got to get a guy to do a good Jeff Goodman impersonation, too. Like, there's 10 zillion Mel Kuypers impersonators out there. You know you can do a good Jeff Goodman impersonation. But what do you think, Sean, that they do with the pick? I'm not telling you, you know, you go, do you think they trade it? Do you think, I don't know. I'll take the floor. My guess is, I mean, you know, all things considered, and the problem with predicting what's going to happen, and I've done this interview a lot, obviously, in the last couple of weeks, is that it isn't like A or B. There are two dozen directions this thing could go in the next few weeks up until the draft. My gut is that the Celtics end up making the pick. Uh, it doesn't mean things aren't going to happen over the summer after that. that. That might shuffle the deck. But the biggest problem with trying to project it now, even three or four weeks out, is that we don't know, for example, not just what the number three pick is worth, but what the number 16 pick is worth and what the number 31 pick is worth. Because right now, as we're talking, this is the time that GMs and coaches are falling in love with certain players. Those picks get overvalued. Dur- during the workouts, during the, there's a, you know, who knows when, like, Lavert of Michigan goes into somebody's, you know, camp and blows them away. And then Milwaukee all of a sudden has to have this guy. They have to have this guy. And then all of a sudden you're getting late and it's it's like 16 maybe in the first, you know, like, Rosie or last year, you're, you're not going to get that guy again if you wait until your next pick. So all of a sudden there becomes more weight on it. And that's where it's not just the next few weeks where the phones will be busy. You have to be ready on that night for this thing to take on many different directions, especially when you have multiple picks and when you have so many options, you know, as the Celtics do. So this is that, you know, it's, I call it, it's the fall in love time right now. It's not just the Celtics working out guys. It's 29 other teams working out different players, which is going to change the value of all of these picks. This is the absolute height of the first round picks and their value. I mean, you, you nailed it exactly, completely. Yeah. That is exact. That is pretty much exactly how you can say it. And just like you mentioned Terry Rozier, Terry Rozier, I mean, if, he's, if you wanted to trade him right now, it wasn't worth a rack of basketballs. And, and now, last year, as we ended up finding out, those picks did not have as much value as the Celtics wanted them to because I guess in the words of Danny or Wick or whoever, they couldn't find someone to dance with. I thought they were a little too open of how they wanted to trade up. But I, I, as, it, as it came out, Charlotte just, I guess, Mike Gorman said it that uh, Danny is going to have a tough time making trades, especially in these trades going forward, because Gorman said that Charlotte was convinced 
that there was some sort of Trojan horse in that deal. And now if you look back on it, you know, 360-some days later, 330 days later, whatever it's been, had that trade gone through, that would have been a horrible trade for the Celtics. Yeah, they picked moved up to get Justice Winslow and gave away one of these Nets picks. I, I absolutely agree with that, and it tells you, I think, how itchy the trigger finger is for Danny to make this move, number one. Uh, it tells you certainly history is going to decide how uh, the value that Michael Jordan put. I, I don't think it was as much that as I think he had decided. This is what I'm talking about, falling in love. He decided Kaminsky was his guy. And I think the biggest surprise after all that was said and done was he took Kaminsky and not Winslow with those picks. And it was not just like the Pat Riley moment of all time where Winslow just fell to Pat Riley with all the, with all the chaos. But sometimes, again, people falling in love with players makes them irrational at this, at this time. So you can't say what this pick is worth because the Celtics were willing to overpay to get Winslow. And they, they, you know, Michael Jordan turned him down because he wanted Kaminsky. So you can't – it's not just that it takes two – Everybody's view of the value of the picks is different. Everybody's view of the value of every player is different. That's why this is, you know, is so difficult to do. You know, fans, and you brought up a sort of re-triggered my mind, how fans, the media, both locally and nationally, are waiting for the Celtics to make some sort of splash trade. And I would say that last year's draft, that four first-round picks basically to move up, to select mm-hmm. Justice Winslow, which would have been a haul and a half in a bad deal on Boston's end. No, I mean, I like Justice Winslow. We don't know yet. I mean, we don't know yeah, yet about Winslow, yeah, but it would, been, it would have been a lot. Paying, it would have been paying like a Ray Allen ransom for a guy who hasn't done anything yet. Yeah, it would have been a lot. But that sort of just sort of triggered my mind about the pressure that they're outside pressure. Don't you believe that there's some sort of outside yes. pressure on the organization to mm-hmm. make a splash? And these guys can say, like, Richie Gotham, he comes on the show and says, oh, we can't worry about what anybody else says or blah, 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 blah. But you've got to think that they're feeling the heat in some sort of capacity. And as you said, most of it is irrational. So how do you think those guys deal with it? I think that while they feel that, I think it's internal. I think they put it on themselves. I think these are ultra – Especially Wick. Competitive people. Especially Wick. Wick Everybody wants it. And listen, let me tell you you this. When you stand, you know, I was in the room with Rich Gotham and Danny and the ownership about, you know, an hour and a half after game six in 2008 when everybody's clothes were stained with champagne or whatever. And I remember, you know, obviously I'll never forget it the rest of my life, the next few days and the different events and the different things, you know, everybody out on the garden floor at four o'clock in the morning, you get addicted to that. That is an addictive thing. And you want it again when you've been there. And so you go through, you'll do pretty much anything to get there again, even if it doesn't make sense. You know, nobody wanted to take the, the slow boat, you know, the, the scenic route, as this thing, the direction has really gone here in the last three years, it would have been nice just to have this. The problem is you wanted to do this once-in-a-lifetime thing from 2007 twice. There's a reason they call things once-in-a-lifetime. Do you, get, do you get worried about the impatience? Because I think that there is some – I don't think impatience is a fair word, but it's – you talked about that they're addicted about winning and, and having that – just being, being able to celebrate and be in big games. And I know – that ownership and those guys, they want to be on TNT on Thursday nights or get the Sunday afternoon games, be the marquee spot for watching NBA basketball for a day or for a night. Multiple times throughout the season, it seemed like, you know, when the Celtics had Garnett, that three-year stretch from about 08 to even four-year stretch through 11, they were always Friday night, ESPN. They were always that game. They played Sundays. So, I mean, do you think that there is almost some sort of – I think impatience is an extreme word, but are you concerned at all with it at all? I mean, how do you feel about it coming down on it? Uh, statistically, I can tell you, having done every single one of them, uh, there were 22 a year for the new big three-hour national TV games. And that was the max, right? 2014, yeah. 2014-15, there was one. One. I know from 22 year to one, and I think we, we talked about January 9th this. against the Bulls of this year. Am I, did right. I nail it? And Got then it. they added, since 2014-15, they added, a, you know, they added a couple. Like this year, I think there were a couple games on TNT that did not go well. Uh, you know, the, the game in Atlanta. Game. Just got, right, right. Just got Bulls. hammered in the game in Chicago, and Jay Laranago ended up coaching. But uh, the year before, 2014-15, the schedule comes out, and Celtics had the one-game schedule, and a couple got added late in the year. But I've talked about this for many, many years, that the NBA is like Premier League soccer. There's the relegation pool. You know, there's Tuesday night, Charlotte, Sacramento, and there's the Friday night, you know, and you want to be – it's hard when you've been in that NBA for six years to 
to go back to the to the other one. It's no, you know, when you get you do get addicted to that to that limelight, and that's what you want to be. I think there's, I said, there's internal pressure. I, I don't think with with Danny at the helm, on the one hand, instinctively, you know, the gut feeling about Danny is he's not going to make him. You know, he understands big picture. He hasn't made that big deal. Who knows if that big deal would have been a mistake or not? I mean, we just don't know yet. But that's not something we're going to know for five years or eight years. But that's that's what makes it, it so difficult. You can't really evaluate. Today. It would not hey. look good today, though. Exactly. It would not look good today. As you said, Terry Rose here, I'm not sure. I'm not quite going with you on the bag of, you know, if this were February 15th, maybe I might go with that statement. But I think the things that, and I'm, you know, again, we all have our own biases, and I am in the camp. I took a world of heat last year on draft night because I like Terry Rose here. It might not have been my pick at that spot, but I really like Rose here. I liked, I had a Louisville game three years ago, I guess, for CBS. And I really liked, I remember Rozier jumping out at me just preparing for that game. So I'm kind of a Rozier guy. And again, very raw. we got to wait. This is the thing. Everybody wants to evaluate pass now. pass word along to Danny? Because I know he <laughs> asked for your opinions. Yeah, right. Actually, you'd be surprised at how the great GMs. He, no, he does. And no, I, I know I'm this. not going to say, I won't say names of people that, have, that asked me my opinion. Because there are people around the league and names you would know. The smart people who are coaches and GMs. They do ask people like me from time because the more people you ask, the more at the end of the day, it's going to be your opinion. It's going to be Danny's opinion. But that doesn't mean he doesn't ask me or ask Max or whatever about a player or whatever. And it's not like he's going to say, oh, Grandy said this, so let's take this guy. It's just if you're smart and you're, you know, you're an elite at what you do as general manager or player evaluator, you're listening to 100 people. At the end of the day, you're making it the call, and it's your decision. But you can always learn something from somebody. No, he's you know, the, there's no harm in asking. He's the so ultimate you'd be surprised. pragmatic guy. He's the ultimate pragmatic guy. I might just keep referencing Mike Gorman because he was on a few weeks ago. Yeah, Mike told me a, a funny story about that. I think I want to say it's about a year ago. He told me this. He he said talking about the Garnett trade. Dan, you know, Danny went right up and asked him. He says, "Hey, would you trade Al Jefferson for Kevin Garnett?" And Mike said, "No, I, don't, I wouldn't do that, Danny." And <laughs> ten hours later, he's, he pulled. He basically pulls the trigger. On that trade, and we talk about you know, Danny's pragmatism, or at least I have. Do you think that they have to probably accept that with the completely with the unlikelihood that once again another game changer will not be obtainable on the free agent market? Likely, uh, there's really no one out there in the immediate on the trade market. You know, Jeff Goodman want to reference him again. He threw cold water all over Jimmy Butler last week. He said, "Chicago." Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm not. My my thing about Jimmy Butler, who I think is a really good player, is I do not think, and let me phrase this in a way so it will not be misinterpreted, more, people generally think, I do not think there is as much of a gap between Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder as other people seem to think there is. Let me phrase it that way. It's almost like people say, I don't like this player. I, you know, this is for years. I've always felt this way about Kevin Love. Like, I think Kevin Love is a good player, but I don't value him the way other people, you know, it, it's the old, it's liking and not liking a player in the Matthew Berry sense of the word. It's not that Kevin Love isn't a really good player. It's just that other people seem to like him more than I do. If this were, if we were drafting, you know, in the NBA, I was in charge of a team, I probably wouldn't end up with Kevin Love because there are other people that like him, you know what I mean? Like other people that like him more than I do. And I just think the gap between Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder isn't nearly as large as other people think it is. The other people seem to think that's a huge upgrade at that spot, and I don't think it's – is it an upgrade? Probably, but to me, it's not uh, like you're not giving what you'd have to give up for what to me is a marginal to reasonable upgrade. If that, I'm just not not really buying that brand right now. You can use sort of the Billy Bean money ball talk about it too. Would you rather have Jay yeah. Crowder at seven million dollars, Jimmy Butler at whatever like eighteen twenty? I don't even know what he's making. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and that's on, that's even before salary. That's yeah. just like, that's just evaluating the player, and then the salary. You know, the Celtics have some room to work because you have arguably three of maybe what the top eight or nine contracts in the NBA right now with Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder. You have extraordinary value. You know, you really are playing money ball. And I think you know, I'm sort of a. I believe there's a little bit of money ball in the NBA now with these rookie contracts like you have to have you got to have somebody in their second year third year fourth year really contributing big on your team who's that low money basically that was to, the thunder a few years ago going yeah, to the absolutely right 
What do you think about fans, the way looking at that? Do you think they'd be okay accepting this team building slowly through the draft and progressing little by little possibly and then maybe getting the big move? But I don't think that big-time trade is anywhere on the market. You look at Jimmy Butler. He's not Kevin Garnett 2007. He's not even Pau Gasol 2008, even if that does happen. Anthony Davis is a situation we can keep on our, our eyes on, I think, you know, a few years from now or even over. That's going to take at least two years if, if for everything to go wrong down there. But So do you think fans would be okay slowly building through the draft and keep throwing off these 47 to 51 win seasons? I'd say two things. Number one, you don't really have a choice. Well, I, I define okay with it. I mean, are you going to – the building was full for the most part last year. Uh, the place was raucous in the playoffs. There was a lot of excitement. Um, I think fans, generally speaking, are, are realistic about circumstances. And they, they can look outside and see, you want to be the Knicks? Do you want to be the Lakers? Do you want to be the Sixers? What, you know, it's, everybody wants to be number one. But in a 30-team league, in two years, you've gone from 25 to 6 or 7 or 8 or however you'd evaluate you know, the Celtics after this year. And I don't think anyone do you want to have – if I were to ask Celtic fans, okay, to have a chance to win a championship – to get the elite players, you're going to have to go through, get rid of everybody you have now and go through three or four years of being 20 and 60. You want to do that? Or you want to keep, you want to keep going on this path? I think any reasonable thinking Celtics fan is going to say, yeah, of course I'd love to have Kevin Durant, but you know, you can't, uh, I'll go from 48 to 52 next year. Absolutely. And they're doing this while maintaining their flexibility. It's not as if they're doing this while right. going all Scott Layden, late 1990s New York Knicks and loading up on massive veteran contracts just to get those 48 to 52 win season and compete maybe for some Eastern Conference finals. They're doing this while having the opportunity eventually, if it ever comes down the road, for that freak trade for, you know, whatever. You know, it just, well, well, I don't want to mention any names. Uh, until they get there. How about this little question for you? Give me a fireworks scale of a 1 to 10 of the odds that happening, 10 being the highest, and something tells me we're going to be in around a 3. And to follow you up on that, you want to throw me some legitimate free agent possibilities for the Celts this year of guys that you know, you'd, like, mm. you'd even like to see here next year? That's a tough one because you don't know what is going to happen at the draft. Um, I'll say, I, you know, it's funny. When you said, I was going to go three. You took it from me because I was actually going to go three. Um, read your mind. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we're sort of in sync. We have a little <laughs> simpatico going here. I think I think three is a reasonable uh, way to go because you just – you the Celtics – on the Celtics side, you know, it's a five or six or seven or whatever because you have the assets, although – what everybody kind of forgets about 2007, in addition to the fact that it isn't going to happen again because there is no – Kevin Garnett is one of the 15 best players in the history of the NBA. This isn't going to happen right, again. Exactly. Right now you've got maybe two. You've got Kevin, Kevin Durant and LeBron James maybe have a chance to be at that level that are available in this league. Anthony Davis maybe a few years from now, but, I mean, those, those are very few and far between. Like I said, everything's yeah, got to go maybe, wrong maybe, there. maybe. The, you know, I just – people don't quite – they didn't understand in 2007 what Kevin Garnett was, which is why Mike Gorman and Tommy Heinsohn and Cedric Maxwell and 82% of the readers Boston. who voted com, right? in the Boston Herald poll oh, yeah. said, no, we're not going to trade Al Jefferson for Kevin Garnett. And why I, I look like a – I mean, I was – like this outcast. No wonder Danny asked for your opinion. Crazy guy. Well, I was. It wasn't even about. I remember. I mean, you have to go back to 2007 because I'll, I'll tell you a little story that nobody knows. Because I knew to some degree this was in the works because I knew people in Minnesota. I was. I knew this from the Minnesota side that this was a very legitimate chance of happening. The first time it went around. This is in late May, early June. Because remember, pick. it looked like right, there was, the it kind of heated up. Yeah. Then it went away, and then it came back. You know, at summer league. It started to heat up again. But I was doing Dennis and Callahan, and we're in the last break of the show, and John Dennis said, give me a name, give me somebody the Celtics, just what you're asking me now, by the way. Give me somebody that the Celtics could get that is, you know, it's possible on the horizon, whatever, like when we come back out of the break. I said, okay. And so he did it, and I said, Kevin Garnett? And no, that's not possible. I said, it's very possible, and here's why. And even then, people in Boston, I just don't think people realized what he was. They just didn't know. And then you had these national people on there, the Michael. I, I think that's a bad fit. Kevin Garnett. And I was just like, 
are you insane? Well, that was the whole it's race. It's the greatest thing. fit ever. Yeah, it's the was, perfect that, that fit, the as it obviously thing. turned out to be. And it's why, you know, people say, broadcasters, we don't have an opinion or you don't have a feeling or you don't have – you try to have your biases not come out on the air. But I'd be lying if I said to you during that season in 2007, 2008, that a lot of nights as I was calling the game, I had my palms in the air like Michael Jordan in 92 when he was hitting those threes against the Blazers. Like, I, to, you know, it was all I could do to not say I told you so. You know, one of the greatest calls of all time that people remember in sports is the Howard Cosell call of the George Foreman knockout of Joe Frazier, which is down goes Frazier, down goes Frazier. Well, he wasn't saying down goes Frazier isn't George Foreman great. He was saying down goes Frazier, I told you so. I'm the one who picked George Foreman. Everybody else picked Joe Frazier, and I picked Joe Foreman, and I told you so. That's what that call is about. And, you know, you have to sort of be able to, you know, what makes Danny and the successful GM successful is their ability to see not what happened in the past, like what we're all doing, which is looking back at 2007 and looking ahead at 2018 and saying, how does this happen? And that was my thing with Al Horford. You're asking about free agents. I'm thinking about a guy. Al Horford is still a very good player in this league. But is Al Horford one step towards the decline? He's probably already you know on I mean? the back like he's, nine. He's probably, exactly. he's probably, and he's on, not the, on, he's probably he, on the 11. He's probably putting out on 11 that's right it. now. That's it. I, wanted, I was trying to do golf for you. Thank you. It was, uh, right, just so you would feel help. But that's exactly what I would say. And, again, I think that's a terrible – I mean, you're a golfer. Isn't that a terrible analogy to me? Because you can play your best golf at 17 and 18. That's right. not what we mean <laughs> when we say it. But it's more of a – right. It comes to being in life and being old. But whatever, as far as where his career – at the peak of his career – he is still he's still in it, but he's towards the end of it. And I'm looking at guys. The thing about the Jimmy Butler to me, the upside of Jimmy Butler is, show me a guy that is at the peak of his career in 2018, and that's a guy that I really want to jump. You know, that's a guy that I'm really interested in. That's the one I really want to jump at. You know, there, are, you know, there were the restricted guys, there were unrestricted guys. You know, um, guys that they're good players out there, but guys that don't fit. Mike Conley's a really good player. He doesn't fit. You know, a lot of the, the key guys are restricted, you know, restricted or player options or, or things like that. Older guys, you know, Dwayne, Dwayne Wade, obviously, is going to stay in Miami. Um, you know, the Gasol, things like that. I just, show me, again, if you're adding a veteran, I loved the idea of adding like Amir Johnson and even David Lee, even though it didn't work out. Those are guys who weren't necessarily, if they weren't playing great, they weren't going to take minutes from guys. And Amir Johnson ended up being sort of a glue you know, a glue kind of guy, guy that is good in the room, help the younger players get better. I feel they need another one of those guys next year this summer. I think they do. I think Aaron, we don't I mean, my guy was Aaron Aflalo. My guy would have been Aaron Aflalo. Yeah, Aflalo, right. Was, yeah. But, again, how many minutes do you want to oh, – you're looking at a potential – Yeah. All right, the log jam again, you know, in the backcourt. So, well, you know, where are the minutes? And the great question to me, and, again, this is what I was saying, go back to 2007 and the puzzle pieces. In 2007, you had Al Jefferson – as that sort of centerpiece, you know, and he's been what he's what he's been in the league. But who of the guys, to me, in this mythological package you want to put together, who's become that guy? The Is Nets Jared Sollinger separated no, himself? No, God, no. And plus, he's no. a restricted free agent. No, the Nets picks right. are the centerpieces. The Nets yeah, picks absolutely. are the centerpiece, and all imaginary, hypothetical, mega trade that you make on sure. NBA Live if that game still exists. If this. If Danny and Co. have to build this team more in an incremental manner and they can't, basically my question would be, outside of, you know, the fantasy of adding two megastars to the team, after watching, and I asked this question to Jeff last week, after watching the Atlanta series and uh, the end of the regular season, what do you think are the biggest needs uh, in free agency or even in going into the draft for this team? What do you think are the biggest deficiencies that they need, they need to fill? Can I answer that with a name? Yeah, or you can answer the name for sure. Ryan Anderson. Okay, stretch That's more my than name. stroke it. You, listen, you, you cannot play the game without – the Celtics were not a good three-point shooting team during the year anyway. And it's remarkable what they were able to do and create offense for Isaiah and create situations for Isaiah without being able to shoot. Imagine – just imagine for one second. Everybody, unless you're driving, close your eyes and imagine what Brad Stevens could do if he had a team that could shoot – and stretch the floor. The Celtics were, what, 26th or 27th in the league? Yeah. And I, then you took out Avery and Kelly for the playoff series against a team that you have to shoot three-pointers against? I wrapped up the postgame show by saying Atlanta is about to get crushed in the next round 
and it's going to make the Celtics look bad, but it's not about that. It's about the fact that the Cavs shoot three-pointers at a very high level, and the Celtics can't shoot them at all. Imagine if you had somebody who could stretch the floor. Does that put a little pressure on the draft pick as well? I had this talk with Jeff last week. I'm not a huge college basketball guy, but I said I would love to have Buddy Heald here because, for yeah. one, he can shoot. And for two, there's also another reason. I think they need a guy that can help them right away. I think they need a pick. So they, I'm, I'm not sure they could, I don't, they can certainly you, you know utilize a project if that's going to work out. But I think it'd be in their best interest to select a player who's going to, at the very least, be a contributor next year, and then hopefully develop into a great player and be worthy of the number three overall pick in the draft. But for one, that's one of the, that's my primary pers- purpose about the draft pick. Where do you sort of come down on that selection? Do you think there's a, more of a premium on selecting someone who can fill the biggest efficiency on the team, and that being shooting, and then maybe, of course, maybe interior defense if that's available? And two, to couple it with, do you put the same premium I would on getting a guy that can basically be a rotation player next year? I think that's really hard to do. I'm not a believer. First of all, this isn't the NFL draft where guys you're going to take in the first round are going to be starters or whatever for you in the first year. I don't think the NBA really works that way. You look at the players that come in that are high draft picks that start. Generally speaking, you're talking about bad teams. Well, not even you start, know, yeah, but generally. I mean, they've you know, they got to give you 20 minutes. Even, know, 20 even so, starting minutes. a rotation players, you know, Julio Okafer and Porzingis, they play big minutes, but these are on, on bad teams. It's very hard. I mean, you can find them. But it's very hard to find a significant player coming into the draft that's going to be a rotation guy on a 45-50-55 win team. But he'll, is he the exception to that? I don't know. The things you forget about are the guys you draft and then you make a quick snap decision on them. The Celtics have tried to draft shooting in James Young and R.J. Hunter, and we just don't, you know, obviously we're getting close where patience is running out. Should patience be running out on James Young, who isn't 21 yet? Buddy Heald is older than James Young. So this is what I, I love it when people just completely lose patience. Listen, James Young has shown nothing. It's been a very disappointing two years. But again, not, he's not yet 21. You know, he's, he was born, I think, four weeks before TD Garden opened. So at what point do you pull the cord on that? R.J. Hunter could be, ready, could be more ready to be a shooter in the NBA next year than Buddy Heald. We don't know. We just don't know yet. That's why I'm just very, I get, you know, the older I get, the more cranky I get, the less interested in rookies I get, I guess is sort of the way I, you know, the way I look at it. You're talking about Aaron Aflalo. Aaron Aflalo can come in here and play. I don't know if Buddy Heald can. So I don't put as much emphasis. I'm interested in getting the best, I always fall back on best players and not need when you're talking about the NBA draft with a lot of guys who are 19 and 20. Yeah, 19 and 20. Yeah, Danny does too, of course, because what that does is that can at least, it allows you to see, you know, what you got in your hands, and then you trade the other players. Well, we can go on forever. All right, to sort of get you out of here, we're going to have a little fun. Um, players are here. Evan Turner, you mentioned him very early uh, in this interview, talking about one of the storylines of the season. Likelihood on, give me a little percentage, actually, likelihood of him being back. Uh not as high as I would like it to be. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's good. I, I wouldn't call. I wouldn't answer that high because Evan Turner is going to be in demand. And I'll say this: there is going to be an opportunity for Evan Turner to make more money somewhere else. My hope is that he continues to want to play for Brad enough and enjoys the love that he's gotten in Boston and playing here. And I think there's a that certainly exists as an option. That hopefully the difference isn't between uh, you know a sixteen million dollar a year deal and an eight million dollar deal. You know, a year deal. I hope that he stays, I am cautiously optimistic. Jared Sollinger. I said last year that this year, the 2016 season was going to be about him. And it's hard to, I think here we are a year later and we all feel exactly the same. Um, It's interesting because he gambled on himself not taking the deal from the Celtics. And I think that made sense. I don't think there's any ill will there. It just doesn't, you know, the way the deals are structured now, it just didn't make sense for him to sign an extension before last year. It is, it's been disappointing to me because he is so, you know, he's so talented and can do so many things at the NBA level. I think he is, I think he starts the year here and is, so you think he I think he's got half now. a season. Well, yeah, I, I do. He... I do. I mean, there's, Qualifying you know, again, is there, is, is, there a tra- is there a trade? Is there a trade? Is there a, you know, I see with all of these guys, you say there's, there's a 10% chance, including Isaiah, anybody could be gone from this team. Anybody could be gone because of, there's Danny's got 128 options. 
And when you get down to 126, 127, 128, they are going to include everybody in every combination. I hope that it works out for him here is how I'd phrase it. Yeah, I, there was a, that was a, another question I was going to get. I was going to say something like, who do you think is the most likely to be traded? I think that all comes down to the numbers game. I know Avery Bradley is a, guy, a candidate for that, only because, like I mentioned, you could there are so many free agents that you yeah. can replace Avery Bradley. Live, be an Alan Crabb, a Kent Bazemore, an Aaron Oflalo, if you want to spend big money to get those guys. Pay them more what you're already paying Avery Bradley now. Or, of course, you select some one of these younger guards in the draft, uh, and you, you, you use Avery Bradley to address another need, i.e. a big man. There are just so many things. Last question, though, on this. Do you think there is some pressure, not just internal pressure from fans, but just maybe pressure overall on the Celtics to be a little more aggressive in this offseason because the cap's going up. The Celtics have this salary space. Every team in the league has salary space. But the Celtics are one of the more attractive destinations in the NBA. They're no longer an NBA outpost, i.e. a Philadelphia, some sort of Siberia. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Are they a Miami or a San Antonio? No, but I would say they're in the top 20%, I mean, I would say. So with that in mind, you think there's probably a little pressure on the Celtics to be aggressive this season, this offseason, excuse me, in that regard to sort of take advantage of the opportunity they have this very summer? I think there's going to be pressure now uh, on the Celtics to be aggressive. I think there's, when you are the Boston Celtics, I think there's pressure on you to be aggressive and that you don't have the luxury that other teams and other markets have to go in the, in the Philadelphia 76 or direction or go in a different way. I think you have to keep your foot on the gas pedal and try to get better. I don't think that pressure changes year to year. Sean Grandy, Boston Celtics radio play-by-play for 98.5 FM, the Sports Hub. You can follow Sean on Twitter at SeanGrandyPBP. Sean, before we let you go, it is the off season. Let the audience know, my man, what you've been up to. Well, as a lot of people know, I kind of took a jump off a professional cliff last year when they, uh, you know, you're always looking for new challenges. And I had sort of was kind of, you assume your career is going to go one direction and you're sort of waiting for opportunities at certain places that I felt I was sort of due for and expecting when they didn't come. Uh, you know, how I was saying you, you earlier, you kind of, you, you fall in love with people and you you have your eyes set on a certain thing. You're not really paying attention. And last summer, Spike came to me and basically said all the things I've been waiting for some other media outlets to say to me uh, for years about, you know, being a franchise player and, you know, being their guy and we want you to be our guy. And it led me to, to MMA. And it was something I'd never really considered doing. I always thought if I stretched out, it would be golf or soccer or something, you know, a little more, I don't know, mainstream, but something that had kind of crossed my mind before. This had never really crossed my mind. And so I just took a leap into a brand new pond and learned a brand new sport and, it's been uh, about ten or eleven months. I've been doing it, and it's been uh, it's been eye opening, and it's been difficult and rewarding, and it's been a great you know we we do a, a great television show uh, that I'm very proud of, and a lot of people that work on it, and uh, you know in, in MMA you have the UFC, which is the big giant, and you have Bellator, which is the number two, and we're you know trying to close that gap. Sign speaking of free agents, sign some big free agents, so we've done that this year, and uh, we have some really big shows coming up this summer and uh if uh if i can do, do it and give it a try hopefully uh, if you never give an mma a shot it's uh it's a pretty exciting world so hopefully you can uh, catch us on some of that this summer and there's the music by god it's the celtic speed finale theme but sean grandy best of luck in your endeavors the next jim ross maybe no, that that makes Sean happy, actually, just attaching that name. I know that's someone he admires dearly, but likewise, that admiration is turned Sean's way by myself, as well as the audience, especially for giving us all of this time, the entire show, all of episode number 159 of Celtic Speed, in full and to the end. And now with the music playing, it's credit time. So here we go. Music for Celtic Speed was provided by Will Rock and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest, Sean Grandy, Boston Celtics Radio play-by-play for 98.5 FM, the Sports Hub. Give him a follow at Sean Grandy PVP on Twitter. 
of course, our audience for their continued listenership and support of this show. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes to enter a contest to win four weeks of Blue Apron meals. That is $800 worth of food in Blue Apron value. Subscribe, rate, and review on Celtics Beat. Thank you, Blue Apron. As well as our presenting sponsor, American Farmers Network. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio. Have a great Memorial Day, everyone.